I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles. Ready for next day installation. And all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Cool Zone Media. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff, the podcast whose title is also its description. Yeah, thanks, thanks. I, was, I workshopped that one. I was walking my dog when I came up with that one. With me today is Matt Lieb, who is a comedian, an anti-Zionist Jew, and a podcast host of the podcast Pod Yourself a Gun, which is also a literally named podcast. It is a podcast about how to find podcasts with which mm-hmm. to get information about 3D printing firearms. That's 100% of what it's about. It's a little bit about The Wire and The Sopranos, <laughs> and it's a lot of bit about how to make that gun that killed Shinzo Abe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. It's mostly it's the blunderbuss cast. <laughs> yeah. uh, you reached your target audience on that joke. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know who I'm talking to. It's Cool Zone Media, you know? <laughs> you guys, uh, you have an audience of a certain type, and they're the type of people I like. Yeah. Oh, love uh, it. I'm excited to have you on for the topic, but before we talk about the topic, we're going to talk about Sophie, who's our producer. Hi, Sophie. Hey. I'm well. And that's good. Uh, Ian, who is our audio engineer. Everyone has to say hi to Ian. Hi, hi Ian. Ian. Uh, our theme music was written for us by Unwoman. And today... Matt, I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's been a sort of, it's not, don't worry, we're not going to talk about modern affair, current affairs on this oh, podcast. Okay. We never we're do. Going to, yeah, but, we're going to the past. But there is, there's been a bit of a kerfluffle going mm-hmm. on over in the Holy Land. I don't know if you've heard about this. I've, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know much about it. I, uh, I just, uh, you know, I, I go on a TikTok and the kids are telling me to, uh, to dance and be pro-Palestine. And I'm like, okay, I want to be cool. You know, yeah. I want the kids to like me. Yeah. Which so, is why yeah. you, 
did a pretty amazing speech that everyone can <laughs> check out. At you a, can you can check out that speech on uh, you know one of those one of those social media apps. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I obviously, I, yeah, I, I, I know a little bit about it, and which is why I've decided to put my entire career at risk in order to uh, <laughs> to talk about it. That's uh, that is a thing that uh, I feel at least educated enough to talk about, and I also feel like you don't actually need to be that educated to talk about it. But that's just my yeah. personal opinion. No, absolutely. I, I think that there's there's plenty to know, but a lot of the basics you can mm. learn fairly quickly by looking at the situation. Yeah. But this week. We're going to be talking about some of the many, many Jews and Israelis and some other internationals who haven't bought into the Zionist line and have thrown down alongside of and in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Hell yes. I love it. These are my people. These are, yeah. the, these are my, my, my Jews. These are the ones that I uh, hang out with the most and, uh, you know, try to get arrested with the most. <laughs> try and fail. I, I was telling y'all before the pod started, uh, the speech, we did an, an action over at uh, Hollywood and Highland uh, where we, you know, did a sit-in at an intersection and um, it was raining, like the one rainy day in LA and we were there, we were ready to get arrested. We had done a, a Zoom meeting with a lawyer who told us how being arrested. How to get arrested. How yeah. to get arrested, which is, you know, we're, these are Jewish anti-Zionist groups. We, of course, are going to talk to a lawyer first. <laughs> no, good. And, yeah. You know, we're, we're very uh, organized with it, but then it just kept raining and raining. And eventually the organizer was like, guys, we, you know, we're obviously not going to leave until there's ceasefire, but also it's really rainy and health is important. And so we're just going to, we're all going to go home. <laughs> And just dry off and live to fight another day. So, uh, yeah, I, I still count that as getting arrested, though, you know? Uh, and legally, it also counts as being arrested. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's good. Best of both worlds. I get to be dry in my home and uh, now I have to go to court. Yeah. And I was I was saying that, like, being willing to get arrested at civil disobedience is amazing. And then managing to go to a thing where you're going to get arrested and then not getting arrested is actually bonus points, right? Because yes. then you get to, you know, live to fight another day and all right, of that. Right, yeah, not yeah. spend the next six months of your life caught up in court or, you know, several yes. years of your life caught up. Yeah, and for those uh, who don't know, and I didn't know this beforehand because I, I've never uh, been arrested for a civil disobedience before. I have been arrested once in a Bloomingdale's. No, sorry, it was a Robinson's May for stealing a USC sweater from my friend, and uh, but I was a mall <laughs> cop. But I did get handcuffed. And you just taken aged up. yourself so wonderfully. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> it was the one. Have you ever been to the West Side Pavilion, Sophie? Oh my Sophie? gosh, have I been to the West Side <laughs> Pavilion? <laughs> yes. In the yes. before times when you're, we were young, there was this great mall called the West Side Pavilion. There was a Robinson's May there. And uh, me and my brother used to steal a lot and from then it everywhere. And then it turned into a Macy's mall. and it was gloriously mm -hmm. messy and you could never find anybody to to give your money to and so people just stole things <laughs> yeah and uh <laughs> and then one time it's not illegal to steal no it's it's not it's actually redistribution of wealth yeah. uh and uh yeah no and then we we they they handcuffed us and took us up they didn't take us up the elevator to the security depot they took us up three uh escalators no they, elevator they escalators so we little, were oh yeah 
publicly humiliated. Just and we were in. I was in fifth grade. No, you look cool. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, totally. No, you look <laughs> no, cool was, as hell. You're handcuffed in fifth grade. Like, no, but I was crying. They took you the to the one where they could see you from the Sabaro. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, people throwing their hot dog and a stick at me. But no, if you uh, if you get arrested for a civil disobedience, I, I learned is that um, you basically you have one year in which to not get arrested again. Uh, and then your record, you know, gets cleared or they won't, uh, press charges. But if you get arrested again, then they can press charges for the previous arrest. And so, so this is yeah. case by case to be clear. Yes. This is, yes. Not it goes lawyer, very differently for different people at different times. It sometimes happens that way. Yes. And I, I, uh, to be clear, I'm not a lawyer. I'm someone who was once in a zoom call with a lawyer. So <laughs> I know a thing or two. It's okay. The, Amazing. the, the political arrests I've had, I've refused to give my name, as did like a hundred other people each time. Nice. And so eventually they just let us out. Oh. Although one of the times I got taken to foreign detention because I was in a different country and it was actually really shitty. But Yeah, no, yeah. that sounds, that's uh, that's too brave for me. <laughs> it was a little too brave rain. for me, to be real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else is like, yeah, this is so cool. We're so brave. And I'm like, it's cool. I'm not broken. It's cool. Yeah, no, no. I'm not, I'm not as scared. Yeah, I'm I am brave. <laughs> I'm not going to be in cognitive behavioral therapy ten years from now talking no, about this. This is not trauma. This is normal. Yeah. So okay, mm. uh, we've talked before on this show a little bit about how as long as there's been Zionism, there's been an awful lot of Jews, entire movements of Jews, and often at various points, the majority of Jewish people in different areas who are like, "Nah, I'm good. I right. have no interest in Zionism." Mm-hmm. If you want to hear more about it, uh, people can go back and listen to the episode I did with Miriam about the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising to talk about nice. some of the different groups of Zionist and anti-Zionist Jews working in different places uh, in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. And so there's been left-wing anti-Zionists, there's been secular Jewish anti-Zionists, there's been Orthodox anti-Zionists. Yes. And there, there still are. And you'll see all of folks like that at all kinds of demonstrations and things now. And... Of course, there was also a lot of Zionists who, as soon as they got to Palestine as part of the Zionist project, they were like, wait, but there's people here. Yeah. Well, you, uh, you guys kind of said something about like uh, empty lots of land. Yeah. Uh, there's pictures of someone's family in this house. Yeah. And so there have been people, unfortunately, not the majority necessarily of yeah. settlers, but a lot of people have shown up and have become anti-Zionist as a result of seeing what happened with the Zionist project. Other people called it ahead of time and other mm-hmm. people figured it out later. Yeah. And so briefly, I'm going to talk about two of those movements, but we're mostly going to talk about stuff from about 20 years ago or so. Okay. One of them is a more philosophical position than a movement. One is a Yiddish word. It's doikite which means here-ness. Mm. Kite being a suffix that means ness in Yiddish. So like Yiddish kite means Jewishness. Mm. Um, this is the extent of my Yiddish knowledge, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Doi kite is basically where I am is my home. And this was a, a major part of a lot of anti-Zionist Jewish organizing 100 years ago. Basically, the main argument in the late 19th and early 20th century was between Jews who were like, we got to go back to Israel. And others who were like, honestly, Jewish culture is as much created by the diaspora as anything else. This mm-hmm. is just as legitimate and we belong wherever we are. Mm-hmm. Which conveniently also, all other things aside, means not creating a settler colonial state. So that one right. has like a little bit of a moral advantage. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, one is uh, 
clearly more moral and ethical than the other. Yeah. A slogan I can date back at least to 1918 translates to, wherever we live, that's our homeland. A lot, but not all, of the diasporists were leftists, communists, uh, like they were leftists, they were communists, socialists, and anarchists. The Jewish labor bond was a formation that existed a bunch of places, basically, that was leftist Jews fighting for the right to organize as Jews within larger political structures. Mm-hmm. And they're really interesting. We've talked about them before on the show. We'll talk about them more later. I actually thought that this week was going to be like one half was going to be like 1900 and one half it was going to be like the year 2000. And then it turns out it's all the year 2000 that we be talking about. Or like, because there's so much. Yeah. And one thing that happened to the historical Bundists, unfortunately, is that they they tended to stay and fight since that was kind of their thing, right? Yeah. An awful fucking lot of them died in World War II. Oh, yeah. See also, well, every aspect of uh, Jewishness and also leftism in Europe more broadly. Yeah. There's a newer word that folks are using uh, called diasporism. This was coined by author Melanie K. Kantrowitz in her 2007 book, The Colors of Jews. And this book is mentioned as the foundation to it. She Mm. says that diasporism is, quote, it, quote, embraces diaspora, offers a place we might join with others who value this history of dispersion, others who stand in opposition to nationalism and the nation state who choose instead to value border crossing. Mm. And... So this is not the only name that people will use now. But I, I was looking into these names because like a lot of people are like, I'm an anti-Zionist Jew. Or other people will be like, I'm a non-Zionist Jew. And then right. other people have been looking for like ways of being like, what's our what's our like positive thing that we're saying? Right, I'm, right, right. Yeah. How do we do something that's not immediately anti-something else? Right. Yeah. Totally. And some things are just worth being anti and that, you know. Sure. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... More and more Jewish people now are breaking free from the narrative that's ta- that was taught to them through their religious education. And what's really interesting to note about this is that for a lot of people, at least a lot of the people that I was reading, this is not a break from religion or tradition. I spent a while reading all these narratives of different diasporists, and a lot of them talk about how it meant literally just skipping a generation and talking to mm-hmm. their grandparents instead right. of their parents. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it is, it's It's not a break religiously. It's not even much of a break culturally, um, you know, because the cultural aspects of Zionism kind of extend to a couple of songs here and there, obviously Israeli flags and, you know, shul and, and your temple, even your reform temples, you know, have them, your synagogue. Um, but, uh, you know, it's more about kind of a uh, a retconning of the religion um, and the culture in order to fit a Zionist narrative. So it's it's kind of just about brushing away <laughs> some yeah. of those uh, Zionist cobwebs that have showed up. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. Um, I think people who listen to this know that I'm I'm not Jewish, but I spend a lot of my time learning about this mm-hmm. particular thing. And um, yeah, so. The left in Israel is a mess. Israeli author Uri Gordon wrote in 2012 of the left in Israel. What is important to understand is that in Israel today, any association with the term left is by itself enough to brand one as disloyal and outside the mainstream consensus. Mm -hmm. Israeli society is becoming increasingly entrenched in its siege mentality. 
viewing international censure of the occupation of Palestine as a threat to the very existence of the Jewish people. In such a context of collective hysteria, aligning oneself explicitly with the left is tantamount in the eyes of many Israelis to consorting with the enemy. Yeah. And this gets at what you were just saying. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, yeah, it is. Uh, l- listen, I'm not, I am not Israeli. And so my knowledge of the dynamics within Israel obviously are based on hearsay from Israeli friends. I have anti-Zionist Israeli friends and um, just regular regular ass is Israeli friends and uh, and from reading. So I can't claim to know what it's like to be a leftist in Israel. But yeah, essentially, you know, it's uh, it, it's already a stigma. Like you'll see it a lot in kind of the uh, the way that, uh, you know, the news media in Israel talks about a lot of the hostages who were taken on the 7th. You know, if there is, you know, any kind of uh, video of, you know, like the woman who shook Hamas is uh, one of the Hamas soldiers hands and whatnot, um, you'll see them disregarded. Oh, well, they're a leftist and it's just automatically assumed like, oh, okay, so they're they're a traitor anyways. Right. So, of course, they're going to, you know, uh, participate in uh, in Palestinian propaganda. So, yeah, it is a dirty, dirty word. Which is interesting in particular because Hamas is not a leftist organization. No, it's absolutely not. <laughs> it replaced a leftist organization, the mm-hmm. PLO. Mm-hmm. And it is, yeah. The idea that yeah. like, well, of course the leftists are all Islamicists or whatever. It's like. Yeah. No. Nah. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, people in terms of left and right, when it comes to uh, everything that gets funneled into uh, America in terms of the way we look at left and right, it is very funny to see how many people think that like, oh, you know, leftism is when you are an Islamic rig- religious fundamentalist. It's like, what yeah. the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. It is. Uh, we just like to we like to throw terms around for no reason. Yeah. But despite this attempt, and it's funny to read that quote from 2012 because it's like, oh shit, it's gotten so much worse since then. So much worse, yes. And, you know, this is the, we're talking about, a lot of the stuff we're talking about is sort of the the thing that kind of tried to head off where where Israel has gone since. Yes. But today we're going to talk about some of the people from Israel and elsewhere who have worked in solidarity with the movement for a free Palestine. And we're talking about them not because they're like more noble or more important than Palestinian people, but because like I think that showing people breaking the media consensus or like the mm-hmm. breaking the media narrative, I think is a very useful thing to do. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, I think there is kind of a general thought about le- leftism and the Israeli left as like being non-existent which is like is is a little too um i don't know what the word is like glib it's like uh it's it's reductive because it is the israeli left is not non-existent it's there is not zero resistance there's a a pretty wide-ranging history of leftism uh in israel it's just that it's it's grown weaker and weaker and weaker and more and more marginalized and of course you know in our current times it is uh it's almost not even acknowledged uh because of the fact that you know you got an event like the seventh and then you've got patriotism takes over yeah totally and the comparisons to okay well topic yeah Yeah, that's what i was gonna say yeah but yeah yeah we'll get in there (laughs) yeah 
So at some point, we're going to go further back in the history of the area. And we talked mm. some of this on our episode about hunger strikes with Shireen. Um, mm. So if you want to hear about some of that stuff, you can go back and listen to the hunger strikes episode. It's pretty recent. And but for now, I think that a lot of what we want to be talking about starts with the second intifada at the turn of the millennium. But since this is cool, people did cool stuff. And I didn't allow myself to go back to the year 1900, despite, well, I mentioned the Bund, but yeah. In order to talk about the second intifada, I'm going to talk about the first intifada. Hell yeah. Which is these sick deal. Wait, no. No, I probably shouldn't do that as my ad transition. <laughs> uh, well, I have to do an ad transition anyway, but here's some stuff you can buy that's totally not related to any of this, and I don't Hell yeah. inherently support. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. Back. So we're going to go to the late 80s to the first intifada. Intifada means shaking off in Arabic. It's one of those words that like sounds super scary or whatever. Like, right. You know, Just like in America, every Arab word sounds scary. Yeah, every, totally. every, every time God you hear an Arab great, word. God terrifies people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Wait till people find out about algebra. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or that um, in Arabic, Christians use the word Allah because it means God. Right, yeah. <laughs> like it's not a different God. Yeah, right. It's just the word for it. People are, we're, we're not a smart country. No, we are not. So the defense minister of Israel, he'll come up later, was this guy Yitzhak Rabin. And he had an iron fist policy of fighting Palestinian nationalism, which never makes anyone happy when the stated thing is called iron fist. Yeah, it's, it's already like starting off class. a bit hostile. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and this involved deporting a fuck ton of people and increasing the settlements. 
Israel is basically trying to annex all of Palestine. Lots of Palestinians are getting murdered all the time. And then on December 9th, 1987, an IDF armored truck, the Israeli Defense Force, armored mm-hmm. truck crashed into a civilian car, killing four Palestinians in front of hundreds of witnesses. And Palestinian folks were like, hey, that seemed like maybe it was on purpose that you drove this giant military right. vehicle into this. And the IDF was like, no, no, totally wasn't. Right. No. And... Anyone who's alive right now and has any basic modicum of media literacy understands that the Israeli government lies through their fucking teeth. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty much you throw a stone at any, you know, Israeli news headline and you'll, you'll hit a lie. It's, uh, yeah. that's what they do. I you mean, mean, you mean, if you know, do a terrorism unique. to any Israeli news headline, throwing yeah. a stone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Throwing a stone is a great example. Yeah. Something that's going to get me, uh, put in, uh, administrative detention, but no, uh, like, uh, it's not unique to, no, absolutely not to Israel to be a, to do heavy state propaganda and lie about what their military does. But, uh, it is also important to point out that, you know, it taking the, the, the line of, you know, the standard line that the IDF puts out is, is foolish as, you know, doing the same thing in America. It's like trusting the cops. Or, or the police, I was going to yeah. say, or, or trusting the cops, you know, and they're, it's, uh, no, they lie. They lie all the time, yeah. pretty much every time. <laughs> yeah. And, and every side of these struggles that we're going to be talking about is also lying or is mm-hmm. often lying, but mm-hmm. the Israeli government just like going above and beyond, you know, they're right. the, they're the gold medalists here. Yes. Yeah. They really uh, got a lot of practice in. Yeah. They, they're like Americans that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Palestinian folks were really fucking mad about this for some odd reason. Maybe it was all the other recent extrajudicial murders that the IDF had been doing. So the next day, someone threw a Molotov at a passing IDF patrol car. The IDF opened fire on the angry crowd and killed one person, a 17-year-old, who they say was the person who threw the Molotov, at, maybe, I don't know, mm-hmm. and wounded 16 other people. And so shit was on. Yeah. And before people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know if you probably don't have listeners who, who sit here and go, no, but uh, in case you do, before people uh, think like, oh, well, this is obviously, you know, PLO plot in order to, you know, do all this. This caught the PLO completely off yeah. guard. This was a completely organic uprising. And in fact, the, you know, the PLO was like, ah, shit, how do we... <laughs> How, how do, do we, we get take some credit control for this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do we get some control of this? And yeah. uh, well, I mean, I assume we'll find out later that it did not end up being totally a good thing. No, but I'll actually, um, I think that you might be able to fill in some of the gaps of when I was, of the research I was doing about this, because some of it is about the PLO's attempt to try mm-hmm. to direct some of the first intifada. But I think it's also worth noting, just semantically, and because I think it's fun, pointing out that at the time, no one was walking around being like, Oh, this is the first Intifada. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, guys, we're going to do the first one. We're going to do it. Yeah, or even just get like, hey, guys, you know, get up. We're doing the Intifada. Yeah. It was It was not. It was organic. It was the straw that broke the camel's back is when the IDF, you know, plowed into those people. And uh, and it just it went off. As most, you know, I think uprisings. As most uprisings are, yeah are that you know it's uh there's always a, a group of revolutionaries out there somewhere who are in a cafe and go oh fuck they're rising up but we didn't yeah shit 
But we're the vanguard. <laughs> yeah, we're the vanguard. What the hell? Why'd I print these shirts? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, and then they run to catch up. And like, sometimes yeah. they do really good work when they run and catch up. And other times they try to other control Other times they fuck and, it up. Yeah. yeah. And, and so this uprising, which I hope I'll talk more about some other time, but we'll talk about it a bit. Mm. It lasts until 1993. Uh, more than 80,000 Israeli soldiers were deployed into the area that they occupied. Over the course of the to- that whole, those years, around 1,600 Palestinians were killed by Israeli forces and around 200 Israelis were killed by Palestinians. Yeah. Uh, overall, the Intifada was not, the first Intifada was not a militaristic movement and it was not yeah. one that aimed to use lethal force. Yeah. Relatively peaceful, actually. Yeah. There were roughly three power players that I've been able to, to locate, uh, organizationally speaking, in Palestine at that point. The most prominent is the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, which is mm. a coalition of different communist and social democratic organizations. Uh, Fatah is the most prominent among them, with Yasser Arafat being the main guy. And I grew up in the right. 90s, so I didn't know who he was, but his name was everywhere, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Then there's the Islamic organizations. Um, and at the time, I believe this was mostly the group Islamic Jihad. But shortly mm-hmm. after the Intifada kicked up, a little-known group called Hamas was formed. Mm-hmm. Then there's a third type of organization that was actually the organization that largely coordinated the Intifada, which was community councils. And as you, as you mentioned, the Intifada started off as a spontaneous uprising, and then these other groups get their shit together, and they form the Unified National Leadership of the Uprising, the UNLU, which did all kinds of interesting shit. They led grassroots mutual aid projects um, and kind of basically, it's like while the Marxists and the Islamicists are arguing about who should be in charge, the people Mm -hmm. were like, well, we're in charge. We're just going to do this. It was not a central vanguard, the UNLU. It was neighborhood committees. And they pushed for people to stop paying taxes to Israel. They literally referred to this as no taxation without representation. Mm-hmm. which is, you know, obviously that wild. If that sounds familiar, yeah, <laughs> there's a reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's where the phrase comes from. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and they also boycotted Israeli goods and started growing more and more of their own food. Originally, at least the parts led by the UNLU, UNLU intended to refrain from lethal violence. This was not a moral stance. They didn't feel that it would be immoral for them to defend themselves with lethal force. But it was a strategic one. They were like, look, we'll get crushed. We can't Mm -hmm. shoot to death the modern militarized army of Israel. Yes. The PLO tended to agree. And for the first year, Hamas and Islamic Jihad also agreed. Women led at every level of the first intifada. I read this whole long article about this. It was pretty interesting. Partly because before it, so many of the men who were leaders in their community were dead or in prison or locked up. And since everyone involved, including Israel, is a very patriarchal society, they they didn't notice that women lead things. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every major faction had a women's committee. And since all the organizing was illegal, they all met as like knitting circles and like cooking groups and shit, which fucking rules. That is great. And they weren't really suspected because of Patriarchy. Yeah. 
the whole thing, the due to repression, the the whole UNLU. I'm avoiding saying it because it's a tongue twister to me. I have no idea why it's a tongue twister. <laughs> it went underground. All along, Israel's kind of murdering the shit out of everyone. They're collective punishing the shit out of everyone. The mm-hmm. UN, of course, comes in and is like, hey, Israel, cut it out. You're being bad. And Israel's like, no, it's fine. Yeah, they're like, no. <laughs> yeah. Bugs Bunny meme. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and this is going to come up. This is, uh, it would be shocking to the modern audience because now everyone mm-hmm. obeys international law, especially Israel. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> And overall, the PLO and a lot of other folks generally wanted what was called the one-state solution in the 1980s. And specifically, they were fighting for a singular secular state for Jews and Arabs alike, a democratic society, right? Right. When people say one-state solution, they either mean this good, nice thing, or Mm -hmm. they like mean a secular democratic like they mean the either the version that doesn't have two sets of laws for two different ethnic groups right 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 or, or they mean an apartheid state <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah and, this, this is this is the 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 issue with the you know talks of uh, one state solution is is that or, or they will assume you mean uh if they're you know zionist taking you in bad faith they will assume you mean um, a all Arab Palestinian state in which the Jews have been driven into the sea, which is not what the one state solution means, despite the Twitter accounts you can point at and go, but this one said I, I should move back to Poland. It's like, yeah, some asshole on Twitter is always going to say something yeah. stupid. Yeah, absolutely. And so the one state solution was overall the vibe until... Mm-hmm. And the two-state solution first started talking about in the early 80s, but the thing that at mm-hmm. least that I was reading talks about it really picking up during the first intifada. And the two-state solution was a compromise, right? It was a fine Israel, you get all the shit you had before 1967, which is an awful mm-hmm. lot, 78% of right. what used to be Palestine. Mm-hmm. And then each country is independent. Mm-hmm. And this could be called the no one is happy s- solution. Right, yeah. <laughs> because... At least currently, a majority of both Palestinians and Israel Israelis reject the two-state solution, even though oh, yeah. it's most what most political groups are claiming they're pushing for. I think Israel is very clearly pushing for the one apartheid state solution. Right. That's that's what they, they want. Uh, but the two-state solution was just... Uh, uh, was cons- I mean, it's considered in, uh, at least in America, the standard liberal kind of safe... You know, this is my way of saying I want peace is, you know, I want uh, a two-state solution, which I, I understand. I mean, I used to I used to be that way, too. Sure. I used to be like, yeah, two states, that makes sense. And then I realized that uh, there's uh, gonna still that problem of uh, the ethnic demographics in Israel if yeah. have to be held at a certain level of Jews and Arabs. And then you... And if they're not, you've got uh, something weird going to happen. So we'll go on. Yeah, no, and we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this uprising, it, it worked. I mean, it didn't solve the problem, right? But it, it forced international attention and it got people That's involved right. in the peace process. And it is why people sat down to the table and started looking to negotiate. Yeah. So in 1993 and 1995, Israel and the PLO, 
signed some peace accords uh, called the Oslo Accords because they were signed mm-hmm. in Oslo. Again, accords, not usually very interestingly named. Yeah. This created the Palestinian National Authority. It gave Palestinians a limited authority over the Palestinian territory. And this was supposed to be temporary. It was a five-year temporary thing, at the end of which, in the year 2000, the Palestinian state was going to be created. Mm -hmm. And this involved, signing this accord, involved the PLO acknowledging the state of Israel, which is a pretty major compromise when someone comes into your house and takes three quarters of it. No, yeah, and you're also agreeing to... um, you know the this kind of like nebulous possibility of continued uh settlement and restriction and you're still agreeing to it on good faith in the hopes that you can come to a compromise later like right huge yeah huge and so the and which is worth pointing out because the world in the 90s and it's still the media line especially this the israeli media uh-huh. line but people don't tend to believe it anymore which is great People still yeah. view the Palestinians as the people who like refused to compromise and the reason right. that this fell apart. Yes. But I'm going to, I knew some of this, but reading the rest of it, I got, I didn't think I could get angrier about what's happening right now. Yeah. The, you know, that's where, I, that's your first mistake. Yeah. You can always get more incensed. Yeah. And so the PLO acknowledged the state of Israel, which is a major compromise. Mm-hmm. It rescinded that recognition in the year 2018. Basically it was like, we will recognize you when you go back to recognizing us. That was the whole point, you know? Mm-hmm. And so 16 is like, oh, they don't recognize Israel anymore. Anyway, whatever. Yes. The creation of the Palestinian Authority was a huge blow to all the grassroots organizing and the women's organizing. Under the Palestinian Authority, women required a guardian to apply for a passport, for example. Right? This is, there was, there was some not good stuff about this. Yes. The Oslo Accords made no one happy. The militant Palestinian organizations considered it to be an unacceptable surrender. Right-wing Israelis were like, this is some bullshit sellout nonsense. And I guess if it had actually worked in the end, maybe people would be singing a different tune, but it didn't. Sure. As far as I can tell, the introduction of the two-state solution and the Oslo Accords were a victory for one interested party, and that party was capitalism. <laughs> And U.S. interests. Yep. Because the guy who signed for Israel, Yitzhak Rabin, he is now the prime minister. He's he's moved up in the world. Mm -hmm. He's no longer just the minister of defense. Um, He's no longer just the iron fist guy. Exactly. Now he's He's, he's no longer just breaking bones. Now he's shaking hands. Yeah. And the prime minister has more power in Israel than the, the president does, basically. Yeah. He's the privatization guy. He is the like sell off everything to multinational corporations guy. He is the mm-hmm. bring in foreign investment guy. Yeah. And he's a big part of moving Israel away from the socialized economy that it kind of started with. Because mm-hmm. for better or worse, Israel started off like mostly by the leftist Zionists. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he moved it to a privatized economy. And just think for a minute about how even messier politics and dis- discourse on Twitter would be if Israel was still the leftist Zionist state and doing all the same I shit because they would be doing I the know. same shit. But right, 
Right, but they would be. I mean, you know, the, the, their version of that, of course, is um, just doing uh, neoliberal identity politics and economics intertwined. Yeah, you know that it's still messy now because they will, you know, fly a gay flag in Gaza and say, "See, we're good." Um, but uh, it would be even worse and messy if they were <laughs> fucking hammer and sickle leftists and totally. <laughs> just like tanky Twitter is just totally. like. <laughs> Zionist all of a sudden you're like <laughs> yeah. god fucking damn it yeah <laughs> fortunately israel totally that respecter of gay rights where gay people can totally get married just kidding they 100%. can't 100 percent. yeah yeah look into that by yeah. the way you know Google, can't get married. Gay marriage israel or heterosexual interfaith marriage yes israel. google yes 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 but rabin He's really into bringing in foreign investment, privatizing the shit out of everything. And he is seen as a champion of peace for fighting for the peace process. He also, and I I know people can change their tune, but I think it's worth pointing out he served as a commander during the Nakba of 1948 and Mm -hmm. once signed an order to expel people from their homes so that Israelis could come in and steal people's homes. 100%. So he signed the accords, which pissed off the right wing. So much that this far right guy, Yigal Amir, um, he was like, you know what? I should murder the prime minister. <laughs> so he listened to Matt Leaf's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he learned how to make the Shinzo Abe gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then he, so that part isn't true, but the rest of it is true. He murdered the prime minister. Yes. Yes, he did. And, uh, you know, it was at a time, uh, when the politics on the, uh, uh, in the right, uh, I mean, in, in Israel, on the right, we're doing some stuff you might look at as familiar for right-wing politics in America. A lot of, you know, uh, targets superimposed over the face of Rabin, you know, in posters and stuff. Like being like, we're going to kill this guy, and then they did. We're going to kill this guy stuff, uh, and then they actually did it. And w- the person that, uh, you know... I mean, I'm sure you'll get to this, uh-huh. <laughs> but the person who was one of the biggest cheerleaders of uh, going against the Oslo Accords and was running for prime minister, uh, Bibi Netanyahu. Yeah. 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 What do you make of the conspiracy theory that says that mm. Shin Bet, the, the sort of FBI yeah. of Israel, knew yeah. about the assassination, didn't do anything? Have you heard this? I have. I, I'm I'm always um I lean against most conspiracy Yeah, it's it's so hard when it comes to Israel because they uh they are like that, you know, and uh, and so is the United States. And I still even, you know, in US conspiracy theories, you know, I'm still like I'm willing to entertain them, but I'm not uh, you know, um I I don't put much stock into them because I don't think you need Shin Bet to actually like not do something for this to have happened. Like they, maybe they could have stopped it. Maybe they couldn't have. It's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, these things, I I always just, I look at them and I go, ah, it's possible. I don't know. I need to have some faith in the world. Yeah. I can't just be thinking everything's conspiracy. No, no, no. That, that makes sense to me because it also like, it doesn't, in my mind, it kind of doesn't matter in the end, you know? Right, like, exactly. The, the the basis of it is that one of Yagal's best friends in the right-wing movement was an undercover informant. 
Mm-hmm. And basically the Israeli government was like, look, yeah, but he didn't know about the assassination attempt. And like, uh, okay. Yeah. That's, that seems possible. Yeah. He might not there, have there been people, like sitting around yeah. with hanging out with his friends being like, you know what I'm going to do tomorrow? Mm-hmm. I'm going I'm to assassinate oh, yeah. a guy. I'm going to kill him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, in Israel, it is uh, a very popular conspiracy theory. And a lot of people on the right and the left, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's pretty mainstream. It's their Kennedy assassination. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Uh, it's uh, a, a lot of people think that... Um, uh, that was the case or at the very at the very least that you know they could have stopped it and didn't and then there's people who think it was just straight up uh you know a uh, political assassination done by the actual Shin Bet. yeah but fortunately with the centrist mm-hmm. capitalist sort of peace-loving president freshly dead obviously all of israel rallied around him as a martyr and pushed for the two-state solution to crack down on right-wing extremism obviously. or <laughs> or he was replaced yeah. by Benjamin Netanyahu <laughs> yeah, yeah, at the head of a right-wing yeah, yeah, coalition yeah. who yeah. we're still dealing with today who cranked up all the illegal settlements. Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. It was, and so the left becomes further and further isolated from the left, the rest of Israeli society around this point. And one thing that I read was that it, it was actually the failure of the Oslo Accords that pushed the Israeli Zionist left towards becoming the Israeli anti-Zionist left, basically Mm -hmm. being like, oh, we thought we were going to actually not be occupiers. We thought we had a way out of that where we could have our two states and settle down and and hang out in peace. But that didn't happen. Yeah. And so the Zionist project has fewer and fewer excuses left at this point, besides, of course, their, uh, their motto, which is, we're winning, so fuck you. Yeah. And... You know how you can be a winner, Matt Lee. How? By, if you sign up for Cooler Zone Media, you don't have to listen to these ads. You only have to listen oh, to the ad transitions. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Dude, that, that's the best of both worlds, where you, where you get the, uh, the, the perfect transitions into the ads. I think we can all yeah, agree. Absolutely. Nothing more perfect yeah. than a Cool Zone Media ad transition. <laughs> uh, but without actually having to listen about, you know, fertilizers or whatever, yeah. whatever your programmatic ads are trying to sell. <laughs> <laughs> Here's those programmatic ads that you totally can just press forward 15 seconds about four times but until you hear the music again. But don't. Yeah. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. 
It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. Hey. So, Yigal Amir, he's still in prison. He's a political cause for the right wing. Probably the only reason he's still in prison is that the legislature had to pass a specific law that says whoever is president is not allowed to pardon this specific guy. Yeah. Which is a kind of impressive. Like, fuck this guy. But that is an impressive feat. And it's also, it says a lot about the state of Israeli politics that you have to pass that law. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) That that you have to pass a law that's like, this is the one murderer we can't let out. Yeah. Like, it is quite wild. Quite wild indeed. Because they knew. They were like, oh, he's good. Because, you know, uh, Egal is not um, unpopular in uh, a lot of Israel. He's actually quite quite popular quite uh praised for what he did yeah great and to this day still proud of it yeah and his brother who was part one of the conspirators like actual conspirator mm-hmm. not conspiracy theory conspirator but like no part really, of the planning really. and went to prison for it and was like yeah i was part of the planning and then he's now out of prison and he's campaigning for his brother's freedom yeah but i mean now's the time <laughs> that's true yeah so the oslo accords they didn't work. The final nail in that coffin was the 2000 Camp David Summit at Camp David, Maryland, which mm-hmm. goes into the theory that nothing good happens in Maryland. That's right. I don't know. Why Except I'm for the wire. Maryland. I have a. That's true. The wire is good. Baltimore rules. <laughs> Baltimore is like not. It's its Maryland own thing. By this. Yeah, standard. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're listening 100%. and you're in Maryland, if you're in Baltimore, it's Sorry. okay. Yeah, if you're in Baltimore, it's all listen, good. Listen to Matt's The Wire podcast. And, and listen to my, The Wire podcast. Pod, yeah. pod yourself The Wire. Pod yourself, the, well, pod yourself a gun. Okay, <laughs> I've, never, I've never seen more than like four or five episodes of The Wire. So this is why it's I haven't so listened good. to your podcast. Do I, how does this work? Do you, first, do you watch all, the whole first thing? First of all, you should you watch you just, The Wire. Right. And, and then do it at the same, but you could do either way, Do you do way, it at the right? same time? Like how does this, Matt, how do you recommend the, a new Wire. I recommend people just jump into it, even if they have never seen a single episode, yeah. because it is asking a lot for someone to watch an entire TV <laughs> show. Um, but uh, if you must, um, you can always, you know, uh, binge it, like start watching some episodes. And then, you know, uh, if you want to, you can li- uh, watch an episode, listen to an episode, watch an episode, listen to an episode. Uh, we do every episode and uh, okay. it is... Uh, it's 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 a lot of fun, and you know, even for people who don't like TV rewatch, uh, you know, I, I've heard people say it's it's more than just TV rewatch. Plus, I do a parody song that's a synopsis of every episode. Wait, really? And uh, 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll probably know. actually listen then. Yeah. I I did my my best one was I did uh, this uh, paparazzi by Lady Gaga, but it's about uh, Prez Belusky, who is uh, a character, a cop. Okay. Yeah, he's a character on the show. You'll you'll like it probably. I don't know. Probably. So the other thing yeah, that happened probably. in Maryland, the only of the two mm-hmm. things that happened in Maryland. I'm from Maryland. That's why I'm talking shit on Maryland. I should make that clear. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just so that everyone who's doxing me is like one more piece of information. (laughs) All right. So they show up to Camp David. Palestinian Mm -hmm. negotiators, including Yasser Arafat, they went in prepared to accept Israel's right to 78% of historic Palestine and accept remaining only on the 22% that they currently controlled, the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Yeah. They were even willing to do some land trades on a one-to-one yep. basis for some of the land that Israel really wanted. They're like, yeah, but we really want this like one little part, you know? Mm-hmm. And the, their one demand was that they were like, okay, if this is our territory, if this is a state, Israel has to mm-hmm. withdraw from our territory because we are now a right. sovereign state. Right. And they weren't willing to as as one of them put it as a negotiator put it compromise further on the compromise that they had already made yeah they also wanted all palestinian refugees to have a right of return so they go back and mm-hmm. the stuff they own whether it's in palestine and israel and stuff like that you know right israel was like we hear that we hear that that's what you want what if instead and this is basically <laughs> the same thing anyone who's listening will totally understand this basically the same thing how about you get 73% of the West Bank, because we really like the West Bank. Yep. And you get 100% of the Gaza Strip, and we get to keep the largest settlements within your borders, and mm-hmm. the West Bank will be split in half by an Israeli-controlled road, and it'll be split mm-hmm. into four cantons, of which one is entirely, entirely Israeli, with Israeli-controlled borders between each of the cantons, so your state mm-hmm. is now divided into four more parts. Mm-hmm. And Israel would control all your airspace, of course, Mm-hmm. That naturally and mm-hmm. and your water <laughs> <laughs> oh god i didn't even and get the water part <laughs> but, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and your water as well yeah and it, we can put troops in your quote-unquote state anytime we want if we decide it's an mm-hmm. emergency yeah and there's no right of return because literally their stated reason is because it would re- ruin the jewishness of israel uh they did yeah. not want any more ethnic minorities than they already had yeah. In the state yeah. of Israel. Because for folks, so the Gaza Strip, most of its population is descended from refugees displaced from other parts of Palestine when Israel took it all. In 48, yeah. It's like, I think over, I think it's 78% um, 48ers and descendants of 48ers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And not every Palestinian was displaced. So Israel has and had and has a sizable Arab minority of Israeli citizens. Mm-hmm. That minority is about 20, 21%, and that's all they can stomach, right. right? Yeah. And so Palestine was like, why did you fucking fly us here? Like, why are we here? Yeah. How is this, how is this yeah. a state? Like, what are you offering us? Right. And you, you see the fucking Clintons running around being like, you know, we offered Palestine a state, but they didn't take it. Yeah. This is the state they didn't take because this is still a major media talking point, right? Oh, we Uh offered Palestine a state and they didn't take it. Both Israel and America blamed the failure of the summit on the fucking, on the PLO. Who were already compromising to a degree that 
most Palestinians were not for. No, yeah. they were they were already compromising so much that like had they had they agreed to this it wouldn't have uh, mattered yeah uh because israel would have continued their incursions as is now their right and palestinians would still be living in this uh non-state in which uh, a foreign army can do whatever the fuck they want yeah so uh the fact that they said no to this yeah. uh, people in the room uh you know uh, on israel's side have later gone on to say yeah, I wouldn't have taken I wouldn't have taken that deal either. <laughs> no. Why would you take yeah. a deal? Yeah, it's a um, terrible deal. It reminds me of one of our most recent episodes, it might be the most recent episode that we did on the show was about Lakota resistance to the American Empire. And mm-hmm. over and over again, America would be like, "Oh, just come to the table to talk." And they'd be like, "Fine. We'll, yeah. we'll put down the guns. We'll come talk. Mm-hmm. This is what we want. We're willing to accept this, you know, limited thing that and then they'll be like, no, just kidding. You don't get anything. And they'll be like, yeah. Why? Di- why am I here? Yeah, Why am I here? Yeah. This brings us to the second mm-hmm. Intifada. The background from which is this week's main, st- the, the main story of this week, which in classic cool people form will mostly emerge next episode. You know, first yeah, episode's yeah, context. Next- <laughs> yeah, yeah. The second Intifada was not as peaceful. Framing it this way is dangerous. It, it 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 was less peaceful than the first one, right? Well, mm-hmm. the first one was peaceful because Israel kept murdering people, but right, right, right. Peaceful on the uh, pro-Palestine side. Yeah. Yes. Starting in 1996, Israel started making contingent. The Israeli government started making contingency plans for if the 2000 summit failed, about all the mm-hmm. shit that they were going to go steal as soon as this didn't work. So the Palestinians right. also made contingency plans for all the shit they were going to not let get stolen. Framing it around a Palestinian violent uprising is like if someone is laying siege to me outside my house for five years, and then I make mm. some plans to defend my house. I, right. I don't feel like I am the source of violence in that situation. Yes. Okay. Riots broke out in Jerusalem in September 2000 over an Israeli politician, Sharon, doing some provocation mm-hmm. shit where he shows up in a helicopter yeah. and is being a dick. Yes. Palestinians threw some stones. So, samey, samey, Palestinians threw stones. The IDF fired 1.3 million bullets. Yep. Uh, in the first couple days. Jesus. A French mediator who was like trying to, was trying to be in the middle of all this, you know, was trying to figure out how to make this work, was like, it is hard to convince the world that this is like a samey, samey thing or that the Palestinians are the aggressors. Right. While Israel is shooting people from helicopters for throwing rocks. Yeah. Overall, any given clash at this time period had about a 10 to 1 casualty ratio. 10 Palestinians killed for every Israeli. And soon it is um, a a more violent clash than the first Intifada, although we're going to talk about aspects outside of that. But there's a stronger Islamic influence on the violent parts of the resistance movement this time around. Yep. And, you know, I want to say unfortunately, but, you know, at the same time, I'm just like, I don't fucking live there. No, I know. Exactly. If if I'm in that position, I can't tell you I wouldn't fucking be drawn to the point of madness. Yeah. And also just like, no, go ahead. Sorry. No, it just say, you know, it's, it's like, I, I'm a guy who understands political optics 
And I'm also a guy who had an older brother who bullied him a lot. Yeah. Had. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, but like, you friends. know, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we're cool now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't implying I killed him, yeah. but I did think about suicide bombing him. Um, no, but it is the point being that, you know, it's, uh, you know, it is, it gets violent yeah. on the pro Palestine side. No, and, and honestly, like, I, where I'm at personally, I have like literally no ethical qualms with people's right to self-defense. Um, I have no mm-hmm. qualms with people targeting uh, Israeli uh, military structures mm-hmm. and stuff. But yeah. the thing that Hamas is famous for is, of course, being Islamic terrorists or whatever, because they, they do terrorism. Starting in 1994, seven years after their formation, they they declared that they were willing to target Israeli citizens and not just right. military targets. Right. The reason that they did that was because in 1994, an American Israeli settler named uh, Baruch Goldstein mm-hmm. threw a grenade into a mosque in Hebron and then opened mm-hmm. fire, killing 20, 29 unarmed civilians. Yes. This uh, guy, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, Baruch Goldstein, he uh, later, he's, well, he's no longer with us, RIP, Bozo. <laughs> but a... Super right-wing uh, fascist um, Israeli named Ben Gvir, who is you know been in the Israeli right, literally called the uh, Israeli uh, fascist Zionist wing of uh, oh. Zionism, uh, is now in power and has a uh, portrait of Baruch Goldstein in his home. Oh my fucking yeah. god! I'm I'm not. Ha- it's funny that this this whole thing leads to lots of situations where I am not surprised, but I'm still shocked. Yeah, no, it's like when you see it's because the Israeli right uh, in our, um, I don't know, in our kind of like news media is essentially just portrayed as like, oh, these are like these religious whack job settlers and whatnot. And then people essentially just talk about them as this kind of like, oh, I know they're annoying. Right. Yeah. And people, I think, forget how much of the state is um, caters to these uh, people and their ideology. And so when you hear like someone would have a portrait of a uh, mass murdering uh, Israeli terrorist in their home, you'd be like, well, certainly, you know, respectability, uh, respectability politics would dictate that uh, a person who is pro that wouldn't say it, you know, out loud uh, or have a portrait of the person who did that. But you'd be wrong. Yeah. You'd be wrong. Yeah, no, that, um, yeah. Yeah. So that's why, so that's why, uh, uh that, that's why Hamas was like, oh, fuck it. We're going for yeah. <laughs> civilians. And they, and it, yeah. and it's like, it doesn't make it okay because two, sure. two wrongs don't make a right, yep. but you can, you can fucking understand it. Yeah, it's not it's not this, you know, uh again with the narrative around Israel Palestine. It's not that Islam is ter- terror and violence. That's that's the whole thing. You know, it's like they try to like reduce like Islam and anyone who is Muslim into this like you know, archetype of the terrorist who just kills because it is, they believe in their book. It says you're allowed to kill the heathens. It's like, 
No, there's very real political reasons around it that are very specific to this conflict, very specific to Israel-Palestine, uh, to the back and forth of the violence between them. It is not, it is not like... Uh, just oh well it's because they're they're born that way or the religion right. tells them to be that way it's uh you know we we like to be reductive when it comes to islam because of the fact that it's easy for americans to understand they hate us for our freedoms you know boom done no need to think about any context outside of i'm free and you hate that our women wear bathing suits yeah hamas's statement was that if Israel did not discriminate against fighters and civilians, they would be for between. If did not discriminate between fighters and civilians, then they would be forced to respond in kind, and that they would stop targeting civilians as soon as Israel did. Time after time, they offer Israel a quid pro quo, no more targeting civilians agreement, and time after time, Israel's like, "Now nah, we're good." Yeah. yeah, and at the start of the Second Intifada. Hamas wasn't wildly popular. Before the Second Intifada started, about 10% of Palestinians supported Hamas. A year into it, 17% did. By 2006, they were democratically elected as the governing force in the Gaza Strip, defeating Fatah, the Yasser Arafat's group, who I think died right mm-hmm. around this time. Yes, 2004, I think he died. Okay. And, Four or five, but yes, that's, that is what happened. And I don't, I don't like Hamas's policies or their tactics, but the only reason they are not perceived as a legitimate force is because that Israel doesn't recognize Palestine as a state. That is the only reason. Mm-hmm. And they, 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 they also didn't recognize the election of Hamas when the elections happened. <laughs> yeah. They, they did not uh, recognize the election. and they actually hate did, democracy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, and they tried to get, uh, you know, the, they tried to coordinate uh, a coup by uh, Fatah, who is, you know, the PLO's uh, yeah. political party. And that coup did not work out. And, you know, if you hear about, you know, Palestinian on, on Palestinian crime around the time of Hamas, you'll mostly see Hamas is like, oh, they, they got into power and they just started killing the political opposition. It's like, no, they tried to, they tried to undo the election. Right. They tried to undo the election. And it's worth noting, um, there's not been an election since. Um, yeah, which is so great. when, well, and so, but also oh, when no- you hear when you hear people say, you know, well, they voted for, you know, they voted for Hamas, you know, the 50% or I forget a huge num- number of, uh, Palestinians, uh, are children and, uh, we're not, uh, alive or voting age yeah. <laughs> in 2006. And so the idea that they would be responsible for Hamas being in power is fucking atrocious and even if they were right. it would be fucking atrocious right no totally. i did not vote for arnold schwarzenegger yeah when he became governor and if he had started terminating all the other states and then they collective collectively punished all of california you'd be against that it was a very i'm really dragging that metaphor out but you get it oh no, yeah and absolutely and plus it. he has that sword yeah dude conan sword yeah he would have stopped Man, he would have stopped all the yeah. collective punishment that I'm imagining in my brain. Yeah, no, totally. He would have personally gone out there and done it. So, the second intifada uh, is before the election of Hamas, and it's the background story to the thing that is today's story. Because not all the uprising was Islamicist. Basically, the Palestinian Authority was increasingly centralizing during this point, but the popular assemblies mm-hmm. are still around. They're alienated from the centralized authority, but they organize an entire movement 
focused on strategic nonviolence. And again, I'm not making an ethical statement about that, but they did it. And I think it's cool. I think it was an interesting strategy. The main issue was the wall. Uh, called the security fence or the apartheid wall or the segregation wall or uh, Wikipedia calls it the barrier because I think that's New York Times' line around it because they like... I always like to find a neutral term for uh, prison bars. Yeah, totally. And in contrast to some of the other stuff, this new movement involves an awful lot of women and soon they had solidarity from internationals and from Israelis. Mm -hmm. The first network for solidarity at this time, at least that I ran across, was called Ta'ayush. Um, this was a network of hundreds of activists, uh, I believe Israelis, both Jewish and Arab citizens of Israel. And they would bring food to besieged cities and towns. They would defend Palestinian farmers from settlers and soldiers as they worked their lands. And mm-hmm. we con- this particular group continued to be woven throughout the story. Basically, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff that's going to happen, and there's a lot of different groups that are all going to be doing it. And they're going to be coming from slightly different angles and working together to do really cool shit. Nice. In 2001, you get another organization, the International Solidarity Movement. And this is a Palestinian-led organization which brings volunteers from around the world to participate in nonviolent direct action against settlement and occupation. They're pretty rad. They're very consciously supporters of diversity of tactics. And I think that this statement kind of like gets at the, the balance between strate- why it's strategic nonviolence. Um, And the right wing hates them because of the following statement. As enshrined in international law and UN resolutions, we recognize the Palestinian right to resist Israeli violence and occupation via a legitimate armed struggle. However, we believe nonviolence can be a powerful weapon in fighting oppression, and we are committed to the principles of nonviolent resistance. And so the right wing like loses their shit over this, being like, they're clearly Mm -hmm. terrorists. They say right there. ISM actions include everything from mass demonstrations to forming human chains to block soldiers from fucking with Palestinians. Uh, Like, when Palestinians go and tear down military roadblocks, they'll defend them. They will also break curfew to escort kids to school. Soon, they move to human shielding and witnessing, and they start staying in homes slated for demolition, and they're, like, riding with ambulances and shit. And this is, like, 2001 to 2005-ish is sort of their heyday. They're still around in Amatrana. The information I have is between 2001 and 2005. Right. <laughs> yes. That's what we are focusing on. <laughs> Israel makes a huge deal out of Hamas and its human shields right now. And the implication yes. is that Hamas keeps civilians around just so they can like do their evil nefarious shit and that they've like forced or brainwashed all these civilians. Right. Or they've literally tied them to their chest. Like yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In reality, mm. the human shield movement is brave as fuck people from relatively privileged positions who are generally voluntarily acting to protect civilians and activists. Mm -hmm. There were, for example, we talked about this last time, but I just, I was so interested in all the parallels between this episode and the last episode. There were white voluntary human shields at the occupation of Wounded Knee in the 1970s by the American Indian Movement. And it was the people who lived there already were like, no, we'll stay. And then they can't murder everyone because there's white people here. And then the media was like, they've kidnapped these white people. And the white people are like, no, we're here on purpose. We live here. Fuck you. We're on their side. They're our neighbors, you know? Yeah. That sounds relatively familiar. Yeah. This is the kind of human shielding that the ISM was doing. To quote an article from The Stranger, quote, 
When a Palestinian was shot a while ago near the Rafah-Egypt border crossing and Israeli soldiers wouldn't let anyone walk into the area to retrieve the body, the ISMers say that, say that they took a stretcher, walked into the area despite Israeli fire, picked up the body, and removed it for burial. And that's who the ISM were and are. And so in 2003, Israel thought about this and they said, what if we just kill these kill people? Them. Can we get away with yeah, that? What if we just kill them? Yeah. Can, do you think we can kill a 23-year-old blonde American woman in broad daylight and get away with it? Uh, you don't know until you try. You don't know until you try. And we'll answer that question on Wednesday, but since that's a shitty cliffhanger, the answer is yes. They can and they will. Yeah, they can. Yeah. I mean, you probably guessed that yeah. by our tone of, uh, you know, um, silly resignation yeah. to the horrors of the world. <laughs> yeah. And so we will talk. Yeah. We'll tell that story and some more stories. Yeah. And it's a really amazing story. And I'm so glad. I was hoping that we were going to talk about Rachel Corey in this episode yeah. or, or in this series because the, the she is uh, an incredible martyr. And uh, is should be someone who more people know about and what happened to her and um, uh, what she did and what happened uh, to her family subsequently. Yeah. But if you like the wire, yeah, thanks. Yep. <laughs> if you like making light of bad things that are represented on television screens, because eh? the wire is about That's bad stuff. That's right. Yes, uh, you'll love Pod Yourself a Gun, a uh, TV rewatch podcast. We went through all of The Sopranos, and we are uh, about to uh, end season four of The Wire, and then there's only one more season after that until we find a new TV show that we can all watch together. Um, and also, like I said, want to learn how to make that Shinzo Abe gun? Pod Yourself a Gun, wherever you get your podcasts and also follow me on instagram uh and you'll see some of my anti-zionist jewish videos they're they're funny and stupid i don't know and well received by everyone they, they're they're really good yeah. thank you i i uh you know there was a time where this was too niche of a subject for you know jokes about it to be understood and uh now we live in a shitty a shitty timeline so uh Finally, yeah, these jokes are not niche. Yay, yeah. that's the upside. Yeah. Um, if you that's want to follow me on social media, I'm still technically on Twitter, but I hate that I'm on Twitter, so I'm not going to tell you about it. And I'm on oh, Instagram yeah. at Margaret Kiljoy. I'm on Substack. I write an essay every week, and half of it is free, and half of it's like more personal and is only for people who pay me. It's not... It's not like freemium. You actually get the better stuff for free. You just get the like me talking about like my dog and why I like winter if you if you pay me. And you can also uh, Cooler Zone Media. Then you get all the Cool Zone Media podcasts. And if you do like current events, because we don't do current events on this show, clearly, but it could happen here, just current events. And so just hood politics with prop. I never realized until later that the reason we always say hood politics with prop is because that's the name of the podcast. The with prop is in the name. And so if you're searching oh, it, it's hood politics with prop. And it's a, these are good current event podcasts. And it's a great podcast. And, um, you know, prop is prop rules. We'll talk to you all on Wednesday. 
Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts on Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. let's go. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. 